0: You're listening to episode 18 of the Almost Sideways podcast. On this episode, we review A Quiet Place and Ready Player One, as well as some movies celebrating landmark anniversaries this month. Our power rankings are all about fake TV shows found in movies and television, and our Oscar trivia is all about the 2006 Oscars. Do you know it better than our experts? Find out on today's episode of the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch.
1: Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true. I I don't know why we do these. This is all totally not getting cut out.
0: Yes. We are go for launch. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, I am Terry Plucknett, your host once again. I missed the last podcast and uh, you had to suffer through Todd and Zach without me. Uh, Todd and Zach, how's it going?
2: Good. It's going outstanding.
0: (laughs) I must say, I really did enjoy your podcast. I almost felt like I shouldn't come back. We should just hear more of the Todd and Zach show.
2: There was a lot more profanity and drunkenness.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Make sure that uh, you subscribe and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, Find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com, find us on Facebook, find uh, Adam's YouTube channel. Um, Right now, before we get into what we're going to be talking about today, we uh, are recording this on Saturday morning. And we woke up to find the news that uh, legendary filmmaker, Milos Forman, passed away overnight. And uh, he's directed some iconic films over the years. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, the passing of Milos Forman, guys?
2: I mean, he was a legendary director. Very few duds in his filmography, uh, really varied. Um, Maybe similar to Kubrick in the sense that he was able to work with legendary actors in very diverse settings and content. He worked across different eras, different countries, different themes. I guess if there was one unifying theme, it was resistance against uh, oppressive systems, oppressive institutions, and uh, a a niche for uh, firebrand characters like Larry Flint and R.P. McMurphy and Wolfgang Amadeus. So, a great director. R.I.P.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting how he uh, got one floor of the cuckoo's nest without really much of a an American influence in the industry until that point. I think another theme throughout his uh, his career is telling the story of some real life characters that you may not know the story of, uh, whether it be Amadeus or Larry Flint or Man on the Moon with Andy Kaufman or even Ragtime. This theme of telling the story of uh, those that haven't had their stories told
1: yeah I don't I, like some of those movies I don't know if I could really picture anyone else directing them other than maybe like Sidney Lumet like I, I can't see uh, the people versus Larry Flint being uh, easily greenlit by any other director than someone as iconic as Milos Forman
2: Have either of you seen any of his Czech films before he came to the United States, like The Fireman's Ball or Loves of a Blonde? I have not. I saw The Loves of a Blonde.
1: I don't really remember much about it.
2: Some of his films have a hard time with availability, like taking off. I've wanted to see that film for a long time, but I don't think it's widely available. Same with hair. I've seen bits and pieces of hair on uh, TCM, but that's about it.
0: Well, maybe now's the opportunity to try and uh, find those for sure.
2: Yeah, you'd think for a two-time Oscar-winning director, his films would be more widely available. But Isn't Hair the,
1: the song you sang at the
2: bar at Terry's bachelor party? Uh, no, that was Hair by the Cowsils. Um wow. And Hair the musical is a little different, I, I believe. Although it may contain that song.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, well, yes, rest in peace, Milos Foreman, uh, a legendary filmmaker. Uh, Hadn't made much recently, but uh, definitely his impact will be felt on the industry. All right, it is now time to uh, move into some movie reviews. I love this movie so much.
2: Some really excellent performances.
0: I did not really like this film at all. Movie reviews. Uh, We have a few films that we're going to be reviewing together, but before we do that... uh, Todd and myself have some new entries into our top 10 lists of 2017, and we wanted to give a quick top 10 update. Uh, Todd, why don't you start us off with uh, the new film that has entered your top 10?
1: Yeah, my new number 9 of 2017 is Mike White's Brad's Status. Uh, It stars Ben Stiller as Brad Sloan, who is taking his son to Harvard for a college interview, and all of Brad's... Uh, former college buddies have gone on to become famous or millionaires, and but Brad works for a non profit, and it's put him into this like sort of dilemma of uh, self worth of like whether he's like he got what he deserved or whether he's doing what he thinks is right. There's a lot of uh, American beauty in this, obviously, there's some like Walter White Elliot uh, Grey Matter uh, dilemma in there, and I think it's Mike White's most mature movie to date. and it's his best movie and probably Ben Stiller's best performance. It's, it's something really special. I know, I know that I, I've talked to Zach about it and he doesn't really agree, but uh, it's a, it's a cool movie and has a lot uh, a lot of interesting things to say about you know, self-worth and status and, and money and uh, it is my number nine of 2017.
2: Yeah, Todd went crazy over it, uh, convinced me to watch it the day that he texted me about it. I think it's an okay movie. I don't see the greatness in it, but I did really like the performance by uh, Ben Stiller's son in the movie, played by Austin Abrams, and, and I think we may need some tie-breaking votes here, Terry. To, yeah, it sounds like a the movie tie. I need to watch. Whether it's a work of art, or is it simply a derivative?
0: Yeah, I will, uh, I will have to watch that one soon, so uh, we can break that tie. All right, well, uh, I have a new number nine on my top 10 as well. And it is the Oscar-winning documentary from this last year, Icarus, made by uh, filmmaker Brian Fogel. Uh, And it is a very interesting movie. Uh, It starts off as uh, Brian Fogel, the filmmaker, he's an amateur cyclist. And he is curious what... uh, what effect a doping program would have on his body, on his performance, and how he could get away with a doping scheme. So we contacts some people, and eventually he gets hooked up with a Russian scientist and drug tester named Grigory Rodchenkov. And he helps him go through this entire doping scheme for an entire year to get ready for this bike race, which is basically billed as the amateurs tour de France. And he goes through the race and he catalogs his uh, change in performance. But then the film takes on a whole nother uh, gear as it comes out that Rodchenkov was the leader of the rushing doping uh, scheme that had been going rampant through the Olympics for years. And Rodchenkoff decides to become the whistleblower and release everything that has been going on. And he does this with Brian Fogel uh, to the point that Fogel is the, uh, is the one that goes and reports all of Rodchenkoff's evidence to the IOC. And it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Citizen Four, which was about Edward Snowden where the film started as telling a story and then the film became like live live updates of the news that was coming out about what was happening and the filmmakers became a part of the story instead of just telling the story it is a fascinating look at what's going on i think the fact that we had an olympics this year helped make this movie what it was and helped this movie win an oscar But hearing his story and listening to the whole thing, all the cover-ups and how he's now in witness protection because he's afraid the Russian government is going to come after him, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, It is my new number nine of 2017. Uh, Have any of you guys seen Icarus yet? I have not. Me neither. Well, it's on Netflix. It's available for really anybody to go see, and it's definitely one you guys should check out.
2: Okay, but is it better than Tour de Pharmacy?
0: <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. It's only about the first half hour to 45 minutes is about cycling. And the rest is about the Russian doping scandal. And so it starts off as one film, and because of who this guy ended up being, it becomes something completely different. This story just really fell in Brian Fogel's lap. So I'll say Don't yes, count- it's better than Tour de Pharmacy. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our recent films that we're going to be reviewing uh, today. Um, Let's start with one that I think for the most part uh, we all are in agreement on. And this is the new film from John Krasinski, A Quiet Place. Uh, Zach, why don't you start off? Tell us uh, what A Quiet Place is about and what you thought.
2: Okay, well, A Quiet Place... uh, is set in the near future when there has been some kind of cataclysmic disaster involving uh, mutant creatures that uh, consume humans and eat everything in sight. Uh, The only issue with them is that they're blind, so they're only attracted to things that they can hear. Uh, So in this world, the lone survivors, the few survivors, uh, have to rely on sign language and very uh, quiet communication. And the film depicts the struggle of this family living, I believe, in New York. Uh, as they sort of struggle to survive in this farmhouse. Uh, the the m- wife and mother in the movie is played by Emily Blunt, and she's pregnant, so you sort of have to think about what are the complications involved with delivering an infant who's going to scream and cry every second, and uh, the movie does a pretty interesting job of showing how they, they deal with that. Uh, The father figure, played by John Krasinski, is sort of this amateur DIY engineer who conceives of these designs to communicate whether the the creatures are near or far away. Um, It's a pretty ingenious uh, film in in a lot of respects. I like the sort of devices that they they come up with. I love that there's very little audio in the film. There's almost no talking. It's pretty much a silent film. And so, uh, don't go into the film um, in the theater eating popcorn or on your cell phone because it'll definitely be distracting to other people. Uh, I thought it was a really cool premise. I liked the execution of it a lot. I thought it was pretty gripping. Um, it was a four-star movie while I was watching it, and then in the la- after I wa- after seeing it and thinking about it a little bit, I think there are some plot. Discrepancies that maybe we can talk about in a second that reduced my rating to a solid three and a half stars. But it's a great viewing experience, and uh, John Krasinski, who knew visionary director?
1: Yeah, Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know about visionary director. I mean, he 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 shoot. It's it is well shot, but I think he does a lot to just like not screw up the really cool premise. Uh, I don't know. These types of silent horror movies have made a resurgence really in the last few years with Don't Breathe and Hush and Lights Out and, uh, I think this one's probably the most polished of those, uh, I think, uh, one thing that has to be said is that Michael Bay, like, is like the one who was in charge of distributing this movie, and it's probably his greatest gift to cinema to have, like, a movie with this small a budget to be, like, that hyped and that big of a box office draw, like, right off the bat, it's pretty awesome that he was able to do that for one of his actors. And, uh, Krasinski has showed some talent before working with actors, um, brief interviews with Hideous Men, I think, uh, is another good movie that he directed, and he has actually directed his two best performances. There's some things about this movie that I didn't, I was like, I was sort of like, seemed a little too convenient. Like, uh, if you're playing a board game in the dark and you have like a, a heat lantern, like, don't put it like within arm's reach. Like, it means something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> and like, don't let your kid buy a toy that, like, the whole point is that it makes noise. And I don't know. The. I don't know, the eventual demise of the creature I thought was a little meh, but I don't know. Uh, it, it is an interesting movie, and there's some good performances. I really like Millicent Simmons. She, she's the, the deaf actress who plays the daughter, and she was also really good in last year's uh, Wonderstruck. She's, she was, like, squarely in my supporting actress lineup last year, and uh, I, don't, I really do like this movie. It's a, it's a solid three stars, and it, it, it could have been a little better, but uh, uh, I, I did uh, end up liking it a lot.
0: Yeah, as I've been uh, thinking about this movie and uh, describing it to people, the best way I could describe it is it's like a more intense version of Signs. Uh, Because I think there's a lot of similarities to Signs in some ways, but I I love this movie. I thought John Krasinski did an amazing job. And yeah, like, Zach, like you said, who knew? Um, But uh, watching Blunt and Krasinski and their on-screen chemistry... Um, matching their off-screen chemistry I thought was really interesting. It had the potential to be an absolute masterpiece, but there were a couple things that, uh, like Zach, like you said, and Todd, you said a little bit too, a couple things that were just like, oh, why did you have to do that? That kind of took away from it. I thought uh, it is a very silent film. However, at times I almost felt it was over-orchestrated. It could have been even more quiet. But, the music kind of got in the way at times as it was telling the story. And I don't want to give anything away, but the last shot of the movie bugged me. Um, it, I I get it, but it bugged me.
2: Yeah, I don't know what the last... Are we, are we going to go into spoilers here? Because I, I don't really love the way that the movie resolved itself. I, I don't think the solution really is... Perfect. First of all, I think, I think the, the plan that uh, the daughter sort of stumbles into, this idea that there is a sort of weakness that these creatures have, it's sort of shocking that no one would have found that weakness earlier. And then it, there's this the the other scene that sort of bothers me is when Krasinski takes his son to the waterfall and he's able to shout and scream and all that and and it makes me kind of wonder like why didn't they just live near a waterfall or something that's a lot louder that would die out the rest of the noise or why didn't they try some kind of dog whistle that that you know emits a sound at an extremely high frequency that only the the creatures could hear and the humans couldn't hear I mean it just seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot more solutions that could have taken place than you know Krasinski, who, who you know, I mean, he's a, a amateur engineer, I guess, but uh, I don't know. I, I would have thought human civilization would have would have found a way to solve this how, problem. How long quicker. do you think the like creature stayed at the waterfall before realizing
1: that there was nobody there? Like, like, wouldn't that have like just like, driven him crazy? Because that's where all the noise is coming from. Well, but I think what you get the idea of is that when there's that constant,
0: uh, that constant just background noise, it drives them crazy, and they just stay away. Or Which again, how do you not realize that that can happen <laughs> earlier?
2: Yeah, and, and it also infers that these creatures are, are pretty smart when there are other times in the movie when they're pretty stupid. I mean, like, in, in, in the whole, like, uh, you know, the, the, the corn mill th- sequence. I mean, that you know, the creature... I, I, don't, I don't know how they didn't die in that sequence. I mean, they, you know, it was right there. So there are inconsistencies with the characterizations of the creature and the creature's intelligence. But on the whole, uh, it's a really pr- fascinating movie, and uh, it, it's gripping. I mean, for the short running length, it's always interesting and uh, compelling. So uh, you got to give the movie props in that area. Yeah, we are fully, like,
0: completely nitpicking this movie. We absolutely loved it. But we're like, but, but what about this, but what about this, but what about this?
2: <laughs> but, the, but the nitpicks are important because that's what separates this movie from, you know, something like Jaws or, I don't know. Which uh, is why
1: I was saying I don't think it's really Krasinski's direction that really <laughs> is really that impressive. Like may, maybe a more polished horror director could have uh, made it something different or may, may, like taken out those little
2: uh, little problems that we were coming up with. I can't think of a better director for this movie, Todd. I mean, who who else could have done it?
1: I mean, you could have had someone like well, I don't even I don't know horror directors that well. Exactly. Hey, wh- why not uh, Takashi Miyake or something? I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, because that would be very marketable. It you know? doesn't matter. Michael you know? Bay
1: was producing it; like it was going to be a big movie, no matter who directed it.
2: What about the guy that did It Follows? He, he, he could have maybe done a good job. Robert David Cameron or whatever. That's not his name. Well, it, it, it's one of those three first name names. David that, Robert Mitchell? You know, only movie, yeah, yeah, that only serial killers have.
0: Uh, well, and it, it was going to be a big movie regardless with Michael Bay producing it and distributing it. However, it helps to have... Jim from The Office, starring in it and directing it. It ha- helps to have the uh, future Mary Poppins as uh, the female lead. Um, you know, the, it did have star
1: power. Kind of. That's pretty much it, though. I wouldn't really say that yeah, they're that's big stars. Wonderstruck. All right. So let's let's move on.
0: Uh, so <laughs> I'm giving it three and a half stars, Zach.
2: Three and a half stars. stars. Three stars.
0: Okay. Hater. And yes, despite what our conversation was, we did like the movie. But uh, it was one of those where we could definitely see how it could have been even greater. All right. Moving on to one that might be an even more interesting discussion. And that is the new Steven Spielberg blockbuster Ready Player One.
1: Uh, Todd, why don't you tell us what this one's about and what you thought. Uh... Ready Player One is uh, the new movie by Steven Spielberg, and uh, it's about uh, the creator of a virtual reality game who dies and sort of uh, makes this challenge for all of its users to, if they complete it, then they'll uh, win his fortune. Uh, The creator's played by Mark Rylance in the worst wig that I've seen in a movie since, like, Taylor Lautner in (laughs) Twilight. Um, I don't know. The the movie is, is visually interesting. I put it in the same category as like Jupiter Ascending or something, where it's a talented filmmaker, talented actors, and it's way too long and is but it has amazing visuals and the story sort of like really lacks in the end. Uh I feel like it really either it should've either gone really short, like a hundred minutes, or really long and made it like an HBO miniseries, like uh it almost reminded me of Westworld in a way. Uh the virtual reality thing is fun to watch, but it's really just sort of like a name-dropping product placement thing. Like a, It's like a live-action version of wreck Ralph or something like that. I, I don't think it's a horrible movie, but... I mean, and there's there's a lot of skill in making it, and the actors are are pretty good on the whole. Ben Mendelsohn is uh, particularly pretty, uh, pretty great, but the movie is okay, and the second half is really rushed, and I don't really see how Spielberg is still making, like... I don't know, every every movie he makes, it just seems like he's getting more and more average. Uh, I, I end up giving the movie a low two and a half stars. All right, so uh,
0: I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. I love movies that are like a quest where you have something that you're trying to achieve, so a puzzle you're trying to figure out. And I really enjoyed the search that kind of happened throughout. uh it kind of felt like this action-adventure fantasy version of Willy Wonka. Uh, where, you know, you got the, you've got you got this thing that you're trying to get, this um, thing that you're trying to achieve, and someone who is trying to make sure that his fortune, his company, his life's work doesn't end up in the wrong hands. So he uh, develops this whole system of... Searching through the oasis to find it. Uh, there were some things in there that, yeah, it's head scratching and how did it take five years for them to figure out that first quest? Uh, it didn't make much sense. Um, but you don't really care that much. And then the one thing I thought of, uh, especially when I was watching this, the last Spielberg film we talked about on here and I ripped it for being sentimental. And this movie is dripping with sentimentalism, and I don't care because it's supposed to be. And you love it for being sentimental, and you love it for all of its uh, pop culture references and all of its uh, "remember back when" moments. It it Im- improves the movie, uh, but uh, I I really enjoyed it. I didn't don't think it's a
2: uh, great movie, but I gave it three stars. All right, well, uh, as always, you know, it always seems to come down this way. I can see merits in both of your arguments. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Todd, I agree that the the movie doesn't feel like it's fully formed, or it feels overlong in a bizarre way. Um, I definitely like the first half more than the second half. In fact, I may have fallen asleep at parts during the second half, so maybe fill me in on exactly how the movie ended. Um, but I will say that... Uh, Terry makes some really strong points too. I think the movie's chock full of these uh, pop culture references that are f- that are certainly fun and speak to the viewer. It's a very it's it has to be Spielberg's most self-referential movie. I mean, he's in some ways even referencing older movies that he made. I read in the IMDb trivia page that they they wanted to throw in a reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but they couldn't because they couldn't get the clearance to do it in spite of the fact that Spielberg was directing this movie. So, that says something. I think the movie's a metaphor for a post net neutrality uh, uh, internet world um i think the uh the character played by Ben Mendelsohn is meant to represent, you know, these corporations that basically, yeah, the, the the biggest threat that he has in the film as a villain isn't the destruction of humanity. It's throwing in uh, pop-up ads, right? Um, and that's the that's more menacing than you know the the fact that the the actual world that people live in is being overrun with pollution and uh, di- dis- dismay and disrepair and things like that. I think that's kind of funny. Um, uh, I, I, I like that the movie was made I thought it was interesting to watch I like the premise but uh, it is ripping, dripping with sentimentality and I'm kind of getting tired of these snarky superhero movies that are certainly a Guardians of the Galaxy the Martian, Iron Man type fad. Um, I I don't think the humor is particularly funny in it. I I don't like snark, but I'm also grumpy, and I don't play video games, so I'm not the target audience for this movie. Uh, And on the whole, I do think it it, it was enjoyable enough for me to recommend because I liked the visuals in it. I thought the scene with The Shining, the the sequence with The Shining was pretty remarkable, how they were able to (laughs) transport everything into Overlook Hotel, and it looked great. Um, But I just, uh, you know, knowing that Spielberg directed it, it was the best and the worst thing about this movie. It was the best thing in the sense that we know Spielberg and we know his sentimentality and we know his penchant for pop culture, but it was the worst thing in the sense that he's made great movies and you kind of wish that this movie had a stronger, more robust, intellectual... Drama, you know, if the biggest stake in this movie is the control of this virtual reality world, I don't think those are big stakes for the hero, and so as a result, I was never really fully invested in him.
0: but see, this virtual reality world is life for everybody at that time. I mean but not on Tuesdays and Thursdays anymore well, well yeah that that is true. You did see the ending um <laughs> But, but I think it, it's definitely high stakes in the fact that this is how people live. I mean, nobody goes outside anymore. They spend their time in the Oasis, and the people who are searching for these keys are trying to make sure either that they have control of it or that the control doesn't fall into the wrong hands.
2: But you're telling me that during those action sequences at the end of the movie, which I agree with Todd, were unending, like you really felt like dramatic that, you know, they were going to shoot him up in in the Oasis, but he was just going to lose his money. He would still be alive in real life. Yeah, but the way they do anything in the Oasis is with that. I mean, it
0: it was, it, it was basically like dying and having to start all over again. Yeah, I see what you're saying. However... I think there, there was still some merit to it.
1: Were either of you bothered by the fact that the way that they tricked Ben Mendelsohn's character was the exact same way that they tricked Kylo Ren in Star
2: Wars Last Jedi? I never thought about that until you just mentioned it's it. It's the exact same thing. But there are some similarities. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that either. Those virtual reality simulators, man. So They're no, it doesn't bother me at all.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> it's also kind of how they, they fool Terry Benedict in Ocean's Eleven.
1: It's kind not of a hologram yes.
2: necessarily. All right. Well, uh, Zach, what uh, what rating are you giving this one? Uh, I'm giving it a very reluctant three stars, um, but I'm getting tired of snarky superhero movies. All right, and Todd, you're giving it a low two and a
0: half. Correct. All right, and I'm giving it uh, a solid three stars. Okay. Uh, so, and those are both definitely still playing in theaters. So, if you uh, like the sound of any of those uh definitely check them out all right moving on uh we are near the start of the month well actually we're halfway through the month of April but we're going to uh look at the month of April now and talk about some milestone uh anniversaries being celebrated this month and Todd why don't you get us started on this
1: one uh, what is your milestone review for the month of April? Uh, the movie that I chose came out in two thousand three. Uh, it is Justin Lin's Better Luck Tomorrow. Uh, so fifteen years since I was released. Uh, it's about a privileged group of uh, Orange County Asian Americans whose only focus really is to like get into Ivy League schools and. The main character, Banny, ends up committing these, like, petty crimes in order to get some quick cash. Like, he has a cheat sheet operation, and he steals some tests, and he steals computers and returns them back for a reward. Like, the the crimes get more and more serious, including eventual, like, selling of drugs and and uh, drug use. Uh, and th- there are a lot of fun little things. Like, the ma- the main character is, like, trying throughout the movie to break Calvin Murphy's record of uh, free throws, uh his free throw percentage record, so he's, like, constantly shooting free throws throughout the movie, and, like, uh, Han in this movie reprises his role in the Fast and the Furious movies directed by Justin Lane. Uh, it actually becomes sort of like an alpha dog type movie. It is a, it is a true story, and, uh, but th- this movie actually includes smart people, so it's, uh, it's not just, like, watching, uh, dumb people commit crimes. It was distributed by, uh, MTV which uh, and, it, and it was actually mostly financed by MC Hammer who is a friend of Justin Lin supposedly uh, but uh, it, this is a really interesting movie and I've showed it to a lot of people and they, they all really like it maybe not as much as me but it's my number 12 of 2003 and that yeah, Justin Lin's Better Luck Tomorrow if you haven't seen it check it out alright Zach what is your uh, milestone movie for April
2: Yeah, uh, I just want to say about Better Luck Tomorrow, I agree with you, Todd. I've not seen that movie since it came out, but it made a really strong impact on me watching it um, in theaters. Ebert was also a really big champion of that film, and Justin Lin has had sort of an interesting career, up-and-down career since that movie, but it's a a really awesome movie. Good companion piece to Alpha Dog in a lot of ways. Uh, my milestone film also comes from 2003, or at least that was the American release of it. And that film is Lilia Forever by the Swedish filmmaker Lucas Mudison, who was a sort of a big deal in the late 90s, early 2000s. Hasn't done a whole lot since then, but he had three or four great films in that era, and this was one of his best. And this tells the story of a 16-year-old girl named Lilia who's growing up in Estonia and she's living in impoverished conditions with negligent and pretty mean parents and she's in poverty and her only friend is this uh... like eleven-year-old neighbor boy who sort of worships her but uh... by no means is it a romantic life in this very cold snowy area and one day she meets this dashing young guy named Andrej and he promises her a life of fame and uh... you know Uh, fortune and of course uh, there are uh, some sketchy things about him as she realizes as once she departs from Estonia she essentially becomes a sex slave uh, worker and uh, her encounters with these pimps and these johns are shown in really brutal and gross depictions. Uh, so it's obviously not a very light-hearted film, but um, I do think the movie is worth watching because it has uh, really great performances, and I think Mudison is a really impactful filmmaker in the sense that he's able to get into the minds of these characters and their uh, pretty horrible living conditions um, and the struggles that they go through every day. Uh, it's you, you associate with this character a lot, you grow with her, um, you see her, her suffer and you know the film could sort of be sort of a Christ allegory in a way a lot of people have sort of interpreted the last 10 minutes as being sort of metaphysical, spiritual uh, but it's really strong, powerful European avant garde filmmaking uh, that was a hallmark of the early 2000s. And Mudison, like I said, didn't do a whole lot after this film, um, but he has done, uh, he did his most recent film I'm seeing on here is We Are the Best, which is about an all girl uh, rock band in Sweden. So he ha- has a great sort of introspective look at the youth of Europe. And Lilia Forever is a really powerful, impactful film.
1: Yeah, uh, right. Better Luck Tomorrow is my number 12 of 2003, and Lilia Forever is my number 13, so obviously I agree. It's a, it's a really good movie.
2: Yes, <laughs> Lilia Forever is my number 5 of oh three. I have not seen either of those. Sounds like you need to do some film watching, Terry, about d- some youth in uh, criminal circumstances. I do, I do. All right, well, my,
0: uh, my anniversary film for, uh, for April is one that is kind of impossible not to love, and that is April is the 25th anniversary of The Sandlot. I was really bummed out I couldn't be on the podcast last time to talk about my favorite fake baseball characters, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a little bit. Uh, But The Sandlot is definitely one of those movies It came out when I was a kid. It was one of those that kind of defined childhood, even though it was looking back on the childhood of others. It it's what baseball is all about. Kids going out in the back uh, back lot and just playing baseball and having fun throughout the summer. Uh, It's such a fun movie. It uh, still stands up today. You can watch it now, and it is just as enjoyable as it was then. And uh, it's one that a lot of people have been remembering as the it came out. It was like a week ago was the twenty fifth anniversary of when it came out. And The Ringer just put out an article that Todd showed me. Zach, have you seen this article? I I don't know. Uh, It is an article uh, ranking Benny the Jet Rodriguez's feats that uh, take place during the Sandlot. And it's got 32 different things that he he does throughout the movie. And it ranks them. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, some of the standouts that uh, I liked was uh, number five on the list is going swimming in jeans, which I did not realize he did until, the, until I saw the list.
1: I and saw number... a video where that said he, that it was actually really, really cold that day, and that's why they were all wearing jeans because he was cold.
0: <laughs> uh, and number seven on the list is uh, he picks up a bat when the tigers show up to the sandlot. When the rival baseball team shows up on their bikes, he makes sure to pick up the bat before he goes and confronts them. I think that that is a genius uh, observation to make. Another one I like is number 10 on the list is he spends an entire day with a baseball cap in his back pocket. And he has an extra glove too,
1: doesn't he? Like,
0: Yeah, just on him <laughs> at all times, just in case he runs into someone like Smalls. <laughs> Uh, Todd, there was another one that you liked. Oh, um, beating everybody else to the fence. Oh yeah, for, for, from home plate. <laughs> he starts at home. Everyone else is like in the outfield already, and he's the first one to get to the fence. I also, I, this is one that I always notice too. He plays catcher. When, because when Ham is when Ham is hitting, someone's got to catch, and he's the one that fills in for anybody else around the diamond. So he plays catcher for a while.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could actually see him pitching though. I don't know. Does he ever pitch? No. I, oh, I, We never see Kenny bat. No, I don't even think they show him uh, bat when we when uh when they play the other
2: team. That's true. I'm just. I'm gonna go out on a limb. I, I gotta say something here. I think The Sandlot's kind of overrated. What I, I, I give it two and a half stars I've, I've never been a Sandlot lover I think it, it is one of those indistinguishable uh, quasi-Disney movies about young kids in the 90s that all came out at the same time and they were all like retreads of Stand By Me, I mean they all use that similar kind of narrative device and to me the Sandlot never stood out in any meaningful way You never played a game of neighborhood baseball as a kid did you? I didn't grow up in uh, nostalgic, melancholic, uh, beautiful 1970s or 80s America. No, I did not. I didn't have, I didn't have a dirt road and a can to kick. Uh, no. And I didn't go to the carnival, and I didn't uh, kiss the girl who was the lifeguard. No, I didn't have that childhood. Uh,
1: you were missing out, man. <laughs>
2: This thing I also
1: was watching about the the, they all like all the cast members. of This movie got got back together uh, recently, and they and they said that their favorite part uh, of the whole filming was actually something that happened off set, which was when the entire team snuck in to watch Basic Instinct.
2: Oh, (laughs) that's great!
1: It is.
2: (laughs) That needed to make it into the movie. Yes, (laughs) gosh, see that would have easily put the movie over three stars for me. You know, sneak into. uh, well, whatever movie. Well, Doesn't the movie take place in the past? Does yeah, it, take place in the it 70s? takes place in like the 60s. 60s, so sneak into like Last Tango in Paris or something. That would have made the movie much better.
0: I don't know, going into the carnival with all of them chewing tobacco is pretty great
1: too, and they all throw up. That's a, that's a good moment. That was definitely Bertram's uh, greatest con- contribution to the movie. Yeah, well, he did get really into the 60s and no one ever saw him again. So 60s. I guess it
0: took place in the 50s. If you got really into the 60s, it had to take place in the 50s. Or did he get into the 70s? Or did he get really into the 70s? He got into oh, the 70s. Oh, man. Something
2: like that. So, uh, David Mickey Evans's other directorial credits include Beethoven's 3rd, Beethoven's 4th, Barely Legal, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Jr. Wow. Barely Legal. That's about as
0: one-hit wonder as you get. My word. Uh, well, at least for two out of the three of us, uh, The Sandlot holds a dear place in our hearts. So, uh, 25th anniversary of The Sandlot, and the uh, 10th anniversary... 15. Right, 10th? 15. Of uh, Better Luck Tomorrow and... Zach, what was yours?
2: Lilia Forever. Lilia
0: Forever, that's what it was. And it was Lilia something. I'm going to have to watch those movies and Zach, you're
2: gonna have to rewatch uh, the Sandlot yeah well those Sandlot players should try to play in an alleyway in Estonia in the middle of winter that would make an interesting movie okay well let's let's make that movie happen Yes.
0: <laughs> alright moving on oh we're having fun now uh, I think it's time for power rankings isn't it yes alright power rankings
1: You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse.
2: I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here.
1: I'm kind of nervous now. Power Rankings. Not including Fargo.
0: Can't choose Fargo ever again. Okay, before we get into this time's Power Rankings, I have a few things to say. Since I wasn't on the last one, I have to say a little bit about my list. First off, uh, Todd, I am... I was shocked beyond belief that you were able to predict that Bowers was going to be on my top five fake baseball players.
1: That well, was amazing. You quote his character more than any other, maybe other than Ham. Like the, like, he's like the one <laughs> baseball character you quote more than any other one. It was going to be lying oh, and, if you didn't put him on that list. And, and you, you're, the quote you referenced was not even
0: any of the quotes I referenced. And you're right. Mags, I know you're a decent human being, but die like a dog. <laughs> yep. I knew it. And, and then Zach ends up winning. And Zach, I have to say, uh, I think you got three out of my five. You should have had four out of my five because I completely forgot about Sam alone in Cheers. And I, I should have had him on my list. Absolutely. And so you should have had four out of my five right. Well, and the I'm one you didn't right have so. would have been Bowers, who Todd had. Perfect.
2: We know you too well.
0: You know me way too well. Alright, well anyways, um, the, the contest for power rankings was who could predict Adam's list best, which Zach also won. So Zach got to pick our category for this time. And Zach, what are we doing?
2: Best fictional TV shows. So these are TV shows that only exist in the world of other TV shows or movies.
0: Okay. So, Zach, why don't you get us started with uh, your number five?
2: Okay. Well, first of all, I want to—I know the viewers or the listeners can't see this—but I want to show all the paper that I have here of my notes for this because I've spent now about 9, 10, 10 days working on this. I've really thought about these. You know, I mean, I—I I, I would never admit that. You know, sometimes with these power rankings, I kind of show up and you know maybe I just you know improvise a little bit. But this one, I've really really uh, dedicated myself to. that's because so. you got to pick it for like the first time in five months exactly exactly <laughs> so i feel really really good about this list and and uh, i'm curious to see what you both come up with so anyway starting out on my list of fictional tv sh- series number five is the show fox force five starring mia wallace uh from paul fiction. And Fox Force 5, how can we describe it? Um, it's about fox as in, fo- uh, as in foxy ladies, force as in there, force, and five is in there, one, two, three, four, five of them. And uh, Mia Wallace on the show played uh, R- Raven McClaw, who's who was the deadliest woman in the world with knives. She was raised by a bunch of circus performers, and if they had gotten picked up, she would have inserted a joke into every episode. So unfortunately, this it was only a pilot, didn't last too long. But uh, I, it, it's one of the great fictional TV series of all time.
0: All right, all right, uh, Todd, how about you? Uh, Number five.
1: My number five is, uh, Pucks from, uh, the TV show Episodes, um, in, uh, which stars Matt LeBlanc as himself, um, uh, it's a, the, the Pucks is a remake of a TV show, uh, of a BAFTA-winning TV show called Lyman's Voice by this esteemed group of, uh, of, uh, British, uh, writers, and, uh, they're, uh, they're remaking it in hollywood and they're pressured to uh make matt leblanc as the star it's basically like uh history boys which they're really surprised that matt even knows what that is but they make it about a hockey team and it's coach rather than a boarding school and uh, it looks like really sort of like lame humor and sappy but uh episodes is one of the most underrated tv series of the 2000s and uh i had to mention it because uh I mean, there are parts of Pucks that looks really funny, and uh, it is sort of the basis of the entire show. All right. Uh, So for me, this list, when I first heard that this
0: is what we were doing, my first reaction was, this list is going to (laughs) suck. But after I uh, thought about it a little while, I found some really good ones. And uh, my list, I tried to come up with some that, uh, that you guys weren't going to have. So number five on my list, I guarantee none of you have on your list. Number five is the show Punch Teacher from the Muppets movie. Wow. Uh, uh, the, the Muppets movie that just came out a few years ago starring Jason Segel. Uh, as they're begging to get onto the air to raise money to save their studio... They go to a, a network run by Rashida Jones and uh, Donald Glover, and their most popular show is Punch Teacher, uh, which is hosted by Ken Jeong, and it's kids that get to punch their teachers, and but it gets pulled off the air because uh, they're being sued by the uh, uh, what is it? The teachers uh, Teachers Union of America. Uh, and so they have to fill a two-hour time slot in uh, two days from now. How are they going to do it? And it is how the Muppets get their show. And so uh, Punch Teacher, my number five.
1: Well, that better not be the only mention of Jason Siegel on your list, Terry, or, or else you're lying. So. <laughs> uh, all right, Zach, number
0: four.
2: Okay, number four on my list is, uh, from the classic, uh, 1982 comedy Tootsie, the show is Southwest General, one of the all-time great, uh, fictional soap operas, and, uh, on the show, you know, there's a, a new hospital administrator, uh, played by the great actress, uh, uh, t- uh, Dorothy Michaels and she plays Dr. Emerly Kim- uh, Kimberly who is the hospital administrator we also have such memorable characters as Dr. Brewster who has to read his lines from the uh, you know, mechanically written teleprompter uh, we have Julie, Julie Nichols who is one of the head physicians and also Nurse Charles um, I think she's played by Gina Davis I can't remember uh, but, you know, there's um, uh, drama and intrigue and roma- r- romantic liaisons abound. And uh, at the end of Southwest General, it is revealed that Dr. Emily Kimberly is uh, really uh, Emily Kimberly's brother um, in disguise for, you know, trying to revenge an old uh, hatchet job. So, uh, you know, startling revelations abound on Southwest General. And as summed up by Bill Murray in the movie, that's one nutty hospital. Nice.
1: All right, Todd, number four. My number four is uh, Wayne's World, Party Time. Excellent. Uh, Obviously, the theme song is awesome. And um, the the show is basically like a a late-night hangout show from broadcast in Wayne's parents' basement. And, uh, I don't know, we definitely need a third movie of these, because I, I really am a big fan of the first two, and uh, we need a glimpse of what, what these guys are up to now. Like, we sort of got it in the 50th anniversary of SNL, but uh, they, neither of them work there anymore, so they can't really keep doing uh, episodes unless they're hosting or something. But Wayne's World is uh, it's just awesome. The guests that they have, the, uh, the random stupid humor, it's uh, some, of my, some of my favorite uh, 90s comedy Uh, Humor, so that's my number four
0: Alright, yeah, I had to avoid making my entire list Just fake SNL TV shows Which I very easily could have done Maybe that's another list we do sometime Is best fake SNL TV shows Um, And Todd, I'm gonna have to admit Until you said something, I had forgotten about it So I had to make a quick change (laughs) So number four on my list is Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime from Forgetting Sarah Marshall thank you for reminding me Mm -hmm. Um, so Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime is basically CSI but stupider Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and it stars uh, Sarah Marshall who is uh, brought to us by Kristen Bell and the one and only Billy Baldwin Um, and the music is brought to us by Peter Bredder the uh, Played by Jason Siegel, who is the forgotten about uh, boyfriend of Sarah Marshall, who uh, secretly just wants to make Dracula with puppets into a musical. Puppet, uh, musical. puppet musical, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, that's my number four.
2: Did uh, Aldous Snow ever make a guest appearance on Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime?
0: I don't think he did, considering we didn't even realize that him and Sarah Marshall knew each other until Peter found out that they were dating. That's what I'm going with. I love that movie, by the way. (laughs) We couldn't
2: tell. (laughs) All right, uh, Zach, number three. All right, well, my number three fictional TV show is uh, one of the inspirations for this list, and it's a film that uh, I hadn't seen for a while. Um, Todd recommended it, and the film is Welcome to Me. Um, And the TV show on Welcome to Me is also called Welcome to Me with Alice Klieg, memorably played by Kristen Wiig. And uh, the movie is about how uh, Alice Klieg wins $86 million in the lottery, and she has borderline personality disorder, so she chooses to blow all of her money creating a... uh, Talk show that she hosts, and um, she says she wants it to be like Oprah, but with swans coming out. <laughs> and some uh, segments on the show include uh, a cooking segment where she cooks meatloaf cake with mashed potato frosting, um, and she talks about how that's really low in carbohydrates. I guess that's like a running joke throughout the film. And then she rides her bike across the set. It's like a revolving set that shows uh, different parts of her life. And then, uh, by the end of the the run of the show, she's um, going into uh, spaying and neutering uh, pets, which was her original job before she won the lottery. So it's very stream of consciousness, very surreal. And what I love about it is that the show attracts, um, I wouldn't say a large following, but a devoted following, including some academics who, uh, t- the, uh, the Thomas Mann character, I believe, who talks about how the show is trying to merge different TV genres, and it's really kind of revolutionary. So um welcome to me with alice klieg is absolutely a, a show i would i would tune into without question
1: that's a great choice that is actually an oversight i actually completely forgot about that so uh earl that would have made my list as well i love that movie and that is obviously a great choice for this list uh my number three is uh from uh, bojack horseman it's horsing around uh it's uh, basically a parody of 90s sitcoms, particularly Full House. Uh, BoJack plays a bachelor horse who is uh, sort of tasked with raising three pro- problematic children, and uh, it seems a lot like the same scenario as uh, Lisa Kudrow's The Comeback TV show, where uh, it's a, like a reflection of how typecast uh, these people get that were in 90s sitcoms, and they're sort of and like even though the show was really popular. It's, like, largely dismissed by critics and, and such. Um, Netflix actually has and Around listed as an actual show, but the only thing available is, like, the opening theme song. Um, and uh, I think Bojack Horseman is actually the best TV show on right now, other than maybe Better Call Saul, and and uh, Around is, like, one of the things in the background that always, like, gives it that sort of, like, kooky status, and uh, that's why it's my number three.
2: Alright, so... So did Bojack use the profits that he made from that show to start development for his Secretariat project? Was that always sort of in his head when he was working on the show? I can't remember. Uh,
1: I don't think I don't think that was in development for that long. I think he always wanted to play that role, but he didn't really finance that movie, did he? I think he just, like, auditioned.
2: Because that was Bojack's launch to fame, right? That was the role that made him famous, was forcing around. Same with Sarah Lynn
1: yeah and, that, and and that's why he was never that like he was yeah he was he was living off the profits for sure
0: all right number three on my list is tool time from home improvement uh this was one of my favorite shows as a kid and watching uh tim allen as this uh tv repair guy uh tool time was such a fun show I have no idea how it wasn't canceled after every time he destroyed the set. <laughs> but, uh, wa- yeah, watching uh, Tool Time with Tim the Tool Man, Taylor, and Al Borland. Uh, so much fun. Great show. Home Improvement was a great show. But Tool Don't Time, my Heidi. number three. Oh, yeah, Heidi. Well, and it was originally Pamela Anderson. I forget what her- – was it Lisa? I think she was Lisa. So, Yeah.
1: Heidi and Lisa as well. Yeah, Tool Time, my number three. Awesome. I think it's funny. All these are comedies. There are no fake TV shows and dramas,
2: apparently. Yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, number two. Okay, so uh, my number two to- choice is a little controversial. It's not necessarily a TV show. More, It's more of a, how should we say, TV infomercial. And that is Tappy Timid- Tibids. A Month of Fury from Requiem for a Dream. Uh, Tappy Tibbins was uh, at one point a man who was 60 pounds overweight and living in his Nissan. Um, And he worked at Jerry's grocery store. But he found the will to overcome his urge to eat and in the first month he lost five pounds. And uh, if you call the number one nine hundred nine seven six juice, you can get juice by Tappy, juice by Tappy, which eventually becomes juice by Sarah, juice by Sarah. Whoa, tap that juice! We got a winner. Um, we got a winner. Uh, And eventually, you know, if you take enough uh, of these diet pills, you'll start having hallucinations that the refrigerator is going to attack you, and that Tappy will actually come into your apartment and start making fun of you and publicly shaming you. So uh, Tappy Timmons, Month of Fury, great, great show. Should be on Netflix. Awesome. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) My number two uh,
1: comes from uh, Entourage, and that is uh, Viking Quest. Which is a cult classic uh, sci-fi Viking show in the vein of like Zena. Uh, it stars uh, Johnny Drama as the main character, Victory uh, Entourage. Uh, it takes the show pretty seriously. It looks kind of trashy, but that's sort of the point. Uh, uh, Drama is like he's constantly having to show up as like uh, his character at a, in full Viking gear for appearances, especially in France, which for some reason like the show got really popular there. Uh, there are a couple other options in, in, in Entourage that I could have chosen, but Viking Quest always just looks so bizarre and weird and badass that uh, I had to choose that. That's my number two. All right. Well, my
0: number two is the same as Zach's number two. Uh, wow. Yeah. I couldn't find the title of it, so I just went with Juice by You, uh, <laughs> which is basically what it is. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I remember the first time watching, I'm like, oh, hey, it's Shooter McGavin. <laughs> uh, but it, it's... What I love about it is how much of a role this this infomercial, this television program plays in the movie and how uh, influential it ends up being on the plot the of the movie. It's the last scene
2: of the film. It's the last image of the film. Yeah.
0: It's the, the infomercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, It's one of those that always sticks in your head,
2: and uh, yeah, number two, we got a winner. Do you remember what his top three uh, rules are for the thirty days? um, The thirty, the month of fury. So number one, number one is no red meat. Number two is no refined sugar, and I went on about a forty-five minute internet deep dive to find what number three is because it's never mentioned in the film but there have been some astute audiences that tried to pause apparently it's written on his little board but it's in really illegible handwriting and what the internet fan community says is number three which which tabby says is the toughest one to follow is no orgasm interesting yes (laughs) i mean this is what i mean is like you know i actually paused the film and it does kind of look like no orgasm you have to really zoom into it the o's a little crooked but um Yeah.
0: I think you spent more time on this power ranking than all the other ones (laughs) put together and then like multiplied by five.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the old *Requiem for a Dream* DVD, which, by the way, has—we should do a power ranking list of the best DVD menus because *Requiem for a Dream* would also be in the top five. Um, which, because it's all about the infomercial, you can actually watch a five-minute behind-the-scenes of the Tabby Tibbins uh, program. That's a Easter egg on the DVD where he talks about his life story. I, I will have to go back and do that. Yes, you will. <laughs> Uh, okay, Zach, number one. All right, number one fictional TV show uh, technically isn't a fictional TV show, but the way that it was featured on the show is, and that is The Merv Griffin Show from Seinfeld. And it's the episode where Kramer finds the old Merv Griffin Show set and uh, sets up what is apparently a TV show without cameras. <laughs> And, um, you know, he, he says, oh, George Costanza, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, tell us about, so you once dated Jerry. Uh, he says that to George and then he says, oh, wrong, wrong card. Um, he holds cards in his hand. He drinks from a Coke. uh, He says, we're taking a break. He uh, requires that everyone wear, you know, a suit and tie. And then, when the show gets bad ratings, he uh, develops a new segment called Scandals and Animals. When um, he has a confrontation, a stage confrontation between Jerry and his girlfriend at the time, who Jerry is uh, drugging essentially to play with her toys. And he also has uh, animal expert Jim Fowler on as a guest. And he's the only one who apparently asks, "Where's the cameras?" <laughs> So the Merv Griffin Show, Kramer's rendition of the Merv Griffin Show, my number one fictional TV show. (coughs) That's awesome. Awesome. All right, Todd, number one.
1: All right, my number one's already been mentioned by Zach. That's uh, Fox Force 5 uh, from Pulp Fiction, which was, yeah, of course, Mrs. Mia Wallace's uh, 15 Minutes. Uh, I I always kind of pictured it as being like Charlie's Angels, which is why I always thought Somerset O'Neill would be played by uh, Farrah Fawcett. But, um, uh, Mia, yeah, she's Raven McCoy, so her specialty is Knives, and, uh, so, which always gave everyone the theory that the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad and Kill Bill was actually the, uh, what, what that actually looked like, which would be, uh, I guess it'd be kind of cool, um, uh, I don't know, oddly enough, I did a, a fake movie, uh, uh, blog years ago and my number 1 was coming home in a body bag from true romance which is obviously so another Tarantino thing so yeah I'm a huge fan obviously and uh I don't know either way catch up
2: catch up You find it odd that Vincent Vega doesn't know what a TV pilot is Yeah I guess <laughs> Although well, I can't they were really in LA don't they? TV. Uh, yeah well, he's probably but, too busy smoking the reefer in the Netherlands. So,
0: But they live in L.A., don't they? Yeah. Well,
2: outside L.A. Yeah. Or,
0: yeah. Anyways. Okay. Well, number one on my list, I'm shocked it's not on either of your lists because when I thought about the uh, top fake TV shows of all time, there was only one that could be number one, and that is The Truman Show. Uh, The Truman Show, starring Truman Burbank. Uh, He's had a camera on him since he was inside the womb, and it is a show about his life where he is the only one in the show that is not an actor. And it is uh, the basis of the entire movie is him realizing that his entire life is a television show that everyone watches it's the number one rated show in the world it's on 24 hours a day people sit there and watch him sleep uh but yeah the truman show i had to go with it it had to be my number one there was no other choice yeah that's gonna be all my honorable mentions all right well then let's get into that Zach, did, did you have any honorable mentions
2: I did. I had several honorable mentions. I had two fake TV shows from Saturday Night Live, which, Terry, I'm shocked you didn't have more Saturday Night Live uh, TV shows. Yeah. I had, I had the Sinatra Group with Phil Hartman as Frank Sinatra. Um, and the Barry, Gibb, the Barry Gibb Talk Show, which I, I guess had you know six episodes, I think. Also Black Jeopardy. Uh, how could you ignore that? Um, what Do Kids Know from Magnolia? Uh, the show that Mrs. Doubtfire has at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire—I I don't know if it has a name—but she's a hip-hop, she's a she's a hip-hop granny who can hip-hop b-box and dance till you drop. <laughs>
1: That's an and awesome yo-yo, one. Yo-yo,
2: make a wicked cup of cocoa, and then uh, finally, I love Mallory from Natural Born Killers, with Rodney Dangerfield.
1: Awesome. All right, Todd, your honorable mentions. Uh, Mine—I is uh, I have seen Red from uh, Lisa Kudrow's TV show The Comeback. Uh, the Fat Heads from Rocco's Modern Life, uh, The Terrence and Phillip Show from South Park, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, and uh, The Truman Show, as well as Show Me the Way to Go Home from The Truman Show. Oh. Oh, oh. that's
2: a good one. That's yeah, a good one. Oh, I'm <laughs> mad I didn't come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, more ma- about, I'm more mad about not having that on my honorable mentions than The Truman Show. Ah, oh. All right, well, uh, my honorable mentions
0: um, Fox Force 5 was really close. Uh, I took that off at the last second. Um, Barry Gibb Talk Show, if I was going to have an SNL one, it was either going to be Barry Gibb Talk Show or Coffee Talk. Um, And uh, Wayne's World. That was my honorable mention. All right, so now let's look at what we think Adam's List is going to contain. This is going to be crazy. I, I had no idea where to go for this, so uh, let's let's see how we did. Zach, why don't you start?
2: Alright, um, the Terrence and Phillips Show, Yo Teach from Funny People, uh, it, the Itchy and Scratchy Show, the Truman Show, and number one is Badge of Honor from LA Confidential. Wow. Okay. I forgot that thing
1: even existed. Uh, And I love LA Confidential. All right. I have number five, The Itchy and Scratchy Show. Number four, Mock Trial with Judge Reinhold from Arrested Development. Uh, Three, Wayne's World. Two, Jerry from Seinfeld. And one, The Truman Show. All right. My list is almost identical to Zach's. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Number five, Yo Teach. Number four, Truman Show. Number three, Wayne's World. Number two, Terrence and Phillip. And number one, Itchy and Scratchy. So you have the same five? No. No. I, I didn't get the obscure oh, LA Confidential nice. one. <laughs> There's no way that's on Adam's list.
2: Wait, but doesn't he love LA Confidential, though?
0: I don't know. I love LA Confidential, and I never thought of that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's see what he's got here. I'm opening up Zach's list. He says, first off, this was a lot of fun. Honorable mentions, Jerry from Seinfeld, Uh. the show about nothing on the show about nothing. Uh, Knights from Shrek 2, a medieval version of cops.
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, Church Lady with Church Lady from SNL. Pleasantville from Pleasantville, the show that was given color. And Crime Scene Scene of the Crime from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, Starring Sarah Marshall in a CSI-style show with a totally wooden performance. Okay, number five, Wayne's World. Because they don't stoop to no sponsors. Or don't stoop to no sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just mess that up a little bit more. Uh, Number four, Tool Time, Home Improvement, Tim the Toolman, Taylor, Enough Said. Number three, The Barry Gibb Talk Show. Uh, They talk about really important issues with cool medallions. Uh, Who's Bustamante? Number two, The Truman Show. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Jim Carrey is the best. And number one, Fox Force 5. Sex circus performers and the same tired joke but is actually also Kill Bill's (laughs) storyline. There we go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I got two. I've got two. I have one. Which two do you have, Todd? I have Wayne's World number three and Truman Show number one.
0: And I have Wayne's World number three, Truman Show number four, so I believe Todd's our winner.
1: Awesome. <sighs> we we really Excellent. didn't give
0: Adam a whole lot of credit in our lists well, and he I, he knocked his out of
1: the park. I thought he was gonna put on Arrested <laughs> Development. That was He's made like a huge video about Arrested Development recently.
0: I was surprised that there was no itchy and scratchy. I thought that was going to be on there for sure. Or yo teach.
2: Yeah. Complete, complete, you know, oversight of yo teach. Uh,
0: missed opportunities. All right, so Todd, you have our next, uh, our next power ranking topic. All right. All right. Moving on from that debacle, uh, it's now time for Oscar trivia. Are you
2: ready? Well, let's hope so. He's going to beat me every time.
0: Oscar trivia. So on the last episode of the podcast, I was not there. So I could not quiz Todd and Zach on their Oscar trivia. So their uh, competition was choosing my list for the power ranking, which Zach won. So Todd had to watch a movie of Zach's choosing. And Todd, why don't you tell us about this uh, amazing movie-going experience you had?
1: Yeah, um, so Zach had me watch uh, the 1972 John Waters uh, cult movie, uh, Pink Flamingos, which is about a husband and wife who take it upon themselves to dethrone divine of her title as the filthiest person alive. And the movie is disgusting and off-putting. There's it goes into things uh, such as like voyeurism, rape, cannibals, and it does get a little incestuous. Uh, and It looks awful, and you can hardly really make out what's going on throughout the movie because it's so grainy. But maybe that's a good thing. Uh, it's definitely like transgressive, but uh, and at times like demented. But it, it's interesting, and John John Waters is at his most insane. Uh, it did inspire sort of a, a whole genre of movies. I feel like, uh, of indie, mo- uh, genre of indie movies, uh, since then, but it's, it's not nearly as shocking as it was back in 1972. If you watch any H- Harmony Cory movie like Gummo or Trash Humpers,
2: then this will all seem a little silly, but. And by the way, Trash Humpers my was my original pick for you, Todd, but you said that you'd already I seen have. it.
1: And it's not, it, that's not good either, and neither is Gummo, but like all, <laughs> either, either way, like those those movies will give you a, a better idea of what this movie could have been. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. In 1972, I'm sure this was just, like, outrageous and ridiculous. But, I don't know. It, I I kind of hated myself while watching it. I gave it one star. But, I don't know. I could see the cult status just by how different and bizarre
2: it is. Alright. Zach, do you have anything to add? Well, I mean, it, 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 it launched, you know, John Waters' career, and... Uh, you know he and divine had several uh, collaborations together and it was a way to you know draw attention to it and i think the movie has sort of this quasi documentary feel to it because it's so poorly shot and the equipment's so sh- sh- you know shoddy um but uh it is entertaining indeed all
0: right well, uh, Todd, you're going to have to uh, win this one to get back at Zach for the last couple films you've had to watch. I would rather watch it than Holy Motors, i got to be honest. <laughs> mm, the gauntlet has been thrown. All right, well, for this uh, edition of Oscar Trivia, I have chosen a year of Oscar films, and they're going to have to go through alternating back and forth uh coming up with who won and was nominated for the major categories. And for this for this uh, edition, our year is the 2006 Oscars, a fairly recent one, fairly uh, popular one. and uh, this could be really interesting. It could take a lot for them to finally uh, earn points because they're going to know most of these. So, I'll give you guys a couple seconds here to gather some thoughts. Make sure you know what you're doing. Oh, we good. You're good? Let's do this. All right. Well, Didn't we Zach, watch
2: this ceremony together, Terry?
0: I, I believe we did. We might have. We might have watched this one together.
2: I think so. I think this was the first Oscars we watched together. Unless did we watch the crash ceremony together? I can't remember.
0: No, we didn't watch that one together. Okay. We might have watched this one together. Anyways, okay. So, Zach, you won last time. So you get to choose. Do you want to go first or
2: second? I will start. You will start. Okay, so best picture, Zach. Uh, one of the great best pictures of the 2000s, The Departed. Correct. Todd? Yeah, I'm still happy it won.
1: Uh, Babel. Correct. Uh, the Queen. Correct. Little Miss Sunshine, correct. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima,
0: correct. There's our five Best Picture nominees. Uh,
1: Todd, Best Actor. Uh, uh,
2: Forrest Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland, correct. Uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio for his bad performance in Blood Diamond, correct
1: uh... peter o'toole for venus
2: correct ryan gosling for half nelson correct
1: will smith pursuit of happiness correct the
0: score is still zero zero best actress zach
1: helen Mirren for the queen
0: correct uh...
1: kate blanchett notes on a scandal no no uh, J- judy dench notes on a scandal
2: correct good catch hey. Uh, already Blank. Oh, Meryl Streep for, uh, The Devil Wears Prada?
1: Correct. Uh, Kate Winslet for Little Children? Correct.
2: Mm. Uh, I don't know. will give up.
0: Todd gets the point. Todd, do you know Penope, it? Penelope Cruz, Volver. Correct. Good call. Alright, Best Supporting Actor, starting with Todd. Yeah. Uh, do I have to give the winner? Uh, if you don't give the winner, you give Zach oh. an opportunity to get a point.
1: Oh, oh. Uh, it was Alan Arkin, one of sunshine. Correct. Mocky Mock for The Departed. Correct. Uh, Eddie Murphy... Dream Girls.
2: Correct. Vijamon Hansu for Blood Diamond. Correct. And Jackie Earl Haley for
1: four. Little Children. Correct. Best Supporting Actress.
2: Jennifer Hudson for Dream Girls.
1: Correct. Uh, Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine. Correct.
2: Kate Blanchett, No on the Scandal. Correct.
1: Rinko Kikuchi
2: for Babel. Correct. Adriana Bizarra for Babel. I'll give Barazza. it to you. It's Barraza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct.
0: <laughs> All right. Starting with Todd, director. Martin Scorsese, The Departed.
2: Correct. Clint Eastwood for Letters from Iwo Jima.
1: Correct. Uh, Paul Greengrass for United 93.
2: Correct. Stephen Fears for the Queen. Correct.
1: Alejandro G for Babel. Correct. All
2: right, the
0: score is still just 2 0. Uh, Zach, your first original screenplay Little Miss Sunshine. Correct, that is the winner.
1: Uh, the Queen. <clears throat> Correct. Babel. Correct. Pan's Labyrinth.
2: Correct. Oof. Uh, the pursuit of happiness.
0: Incorrect. Todd gets I, I the point. One. Todd, do you have the last one? What's been said? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, Babel, Pan's Labyrinth, The Queen. Oh,
1: uh, Letters from Ojima.
0: That is correct. It is now four nothing. Todd, you start Adapted Screenplay. Oh, The Departed. Correct. Uh,
2: (laughs) uh, Notes on Scandal?
1: Correct. Little Children?
2: Correct. Dream
0: Girls? Incorrect. That's another point for Todd. Todd, do you have the last two?
1: No. I really don't.
0: One of them is one of my favorite movies from the year, Children of Men. Mm. And I can't believe both of you forgot that Borat was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Uh, wow. One of the high points in the Academy history. All right. Well, that was, that was pretty good. It, that, you guys got a lot of that. I was hoping we would have to go into Tiebreakers and have to see if you could remember, like, cinematography and things like that. But... Uh, we're not going to have to, because with a score of 5 nothing, Todd is the winner.
1: I can finally uh, <laughs> pick a movie. You can finally yeah, pick is, a movie.
2: This is a, I'd won it three times in a row, I think. I think so, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Going back to Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. All right, so Todd gets to uh, pick a movie for Zach to watch. Uh,
1: Todd, do you want to pick one now, or do you want to think about this? Uh, i'll think about it i haven't really actually considered the fact that i'd actually win
2: <laughs> well it is a year you always beat me at the years the exception of 1983 yeah yeah and i do
1: know like the last In which like, you were 15 slightly inebriated really well, at that but... time i think yeah. yeah
0: yeah todd and i quiz each other on the last 15 years quite often
2: <laughs> it helps you know, the lives of the lives of others wasn't nominated for a screenplay oscar but borat was that should tell you everything that should tell you everything
0: well I think technically Lives of Others probably would have been considered an 07 film in the regular Oscar categories even though it won
2: the 06 foreign film perhaps Todd can you name any of the other best foreign language nominees from 06 ooh this is a good one what
1: other than the Lives well, of Others one, one oh, is obvious
2: yeah can you name any of the other three though I can name one, I think. No, I can name two. Uh... Was that the year that the, uh...
1: That, like, that... Uh, 12? Was that...
0: No. No. I've actually seen one of these other ones.
2: Oh, so Sophie Scholl? Nope. No. What do you have, Zach? Uh, after the Wedding and Water.
1: Yep, after uh, the wedding is the one I've seen. I've seen water. That's not very good. And
0: no, it's and, also not Canadian. And the fifth one is Days of Glory. Oh, I've uh, seen that too. From Algeria, Indosheans,
2: right? Or Indochines? Yep.
0: Maybe we should add foreign language film to the list when we do Oscar yes. trivia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Next time we'll uh, we'll add foreign language film to
2: uh, make it a little more compatible to our Compa- competitive. That way you Our only list. beat me by 8 points instead of 10.
0: <clears throat> we'll, we'll add foreign language film, and we'll add uh, animated feature if it was a category. We'll do that. All right. And maybe maybe editing. Maybe Todd would uh, be happy if we added editing to the list, since that's one of his favorite categories. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That'd, be, that'd get weird back in, like...
1: That would get weird. 70s and Can
0: you guys name the five nominated in editing in 06?
1: Children Men.
0: That was nominated. The, the Babel. That's that was the winner. Babel was nominated. <clears throat> United ninety three. United ninety three. Of course, Green gets nominated for editing. Dream Girls, maybe.
1: No. Nope. Was it? Uh, was it Letters?
0: No. Zach's favorite Borat. Leo
1: performance. Blood Diamond? Really?
0: Blood Diamond. Oh. Was the fifth editing nominee. That's interesting. Very, very interesting. All right. We, we've indulged ourselves enough in 06 Oscars. Uh, it is now time for us to wrap this up with our quotes of the day
1: Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard.
0: Quote of the day. Uh, I will start uh, with my quote. Uh, My quote comes from uh, the movie that features my favorite fake uh, TV show. And that is The Truman Show. And it says he's starting to realize that everything is fake. He pulls his wife, played by an actress, played by Laura Linney, into his car as he's sitting in the driveway and he says i predict we will see a lady on a red bike a man with flowers and a volkswagen beetle with a dented fender lady flowers and there it is there's the dented beetle yes woohoo ah <laughs> ah um,
1: All right, uh, Todd, why don't you go next? All right, mine comes from the my number four <laughs> fake TV show, uh, well, the movie of the TV show, and that's Wayne's World, and it's uh, Wayne Campbell played by Mike Myers. He says, I once thought I had mono for an entire year. It turned out I was just really bored.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: All right, Zach, what's yours? So my quote comes from Kramer's rendition of the Merv Griffin show, (laughs) and it's when uh, Kramer introduces Jerry's girlfriend on set. um, Now that Jerry's revealed that he's dating her only for her toys, and Jerry says, what is this? What is she doing here? And Kramer says, it's the new format, Scandals and Animals. Go with it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Seinfeld was genius.
2: Yeah, except the episodes with Jerry as the fake TV show really weren't funny, so I had to exclude that from my list because those episodes were pretty lame.
0: Yeah. All right, well, that is our uh, podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, rate, review us on iTunes so more people can hear us. Uh, Find us all over the place on the Internet. And uh, we will catch you next time.